All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is where we're going to be in our Bibles. And so go ahead and turn there. If you haven't picked this up, uh, we are kind of a Bible people here. We, we really believe that this book is the, the Word of God, that it is without error. It is so, so, so good. And so listen, if you need a Bible and you don't have a Bible at the start of the semester, you don't have a Bible, uh, let me just say this. Take one of these Bibles that are here in the seats home with you, and we have some in the back as well, and uh, take it, break it in. We'd just be really glad for you to have that. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. We're in a, a teaching series on spiritual discipline, and so we're looking at training practices or, or disciplines to help you to grow in godliness, it's the process of sanctification is the theological term for that, that when you become a, a Christian, you give your life to Jesus in faith, you are sanctified, you are set apart, you are made holy, but then we have to grow progressively in our sanctification. We have to grow more and more and more in Christ-likeness and godliness. And so our theme verse in this whole series has been First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, and here's what it says. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so here we are at the start of the new year, but we're a month into the new year. And so for many of you, I'm sure your physical New Year's resolutions have been broken. Maybe it's the diet that you said I was going to be faithful to, or you were going to run every day, or you're going to go to the gym, and it's about that time where those are all broken, but be encouraged because what we read in this scripture is that those are of limited value anyhow. What's of eternal importance, what lasts into the next life is uh, godliness, training in godliness, and so that's what's really most important. It doesn't have this shelf life that physical resolutions that we make. Uh, do. They have a, a shelf life that really caps off when our bodies start to break down at whatever age that is. But training in godliness lasts from this life into the next life. And so that's what we're talking about, training in godliness, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. And God has given us, as we've seen all along the way, various tools to help us to grow in our spiritual maturity. And so we first studied uh, Bible intake or reading the Bible and how God has given us the scriptures for us as a tool to help us to grow in godliness. Then we saw last week, we saw prayer and how prayer is a very important tool that we can use to grow in godliness. And this week, what I want to look at is I want to look at Christian community. I want to look at the, the church. We're going to talk about letting the church mature you. Now, I know right up front that when we say church, lots of feelings come over this room for some of you, maybe it's warm feelings, you know, sentimental feelings of your childhood or family, uh, Christmas services, a beautiful wedding that you went to, your own wedding at a church. Maybe it's, it's close friends. For others of us, when we hear church, negative feelings and, and associations come into our minds. Some of you maybe remember being bored to death as a child sitting through boring church services, or maybe you remember a, a mean nun at parochial school, you know, who was, who was all over you, or maybe you had a, a negative experience with a particular church leader, that out-of-place feeling that you felt when you walked into a, a, a church. And, and, and whatever your, your, your feeling is, I can assure you that I also uh, can relate. I've been on both sides, negative and, and positive feelings and associations with regards to the church. I uh, could stand up here and I could, I could start to bash all the negative uh, 
associations that you've had, and I could get you all worked up and, and, and you know, talk about uh, all the negative types of church out there and just start to bash them. That's kind of actually trendy at this point in history. I could say we're not this, we are this, we're certainly this, and most definitely not that. And I could say we're all of your positive feelings and we're none of your negative feelings, and I could stand up here and say that for you. But instead, let me just make this observation out of the gate, is that for me, as I think through the various seasons of church involvement in my own life, both, both positive and, and negative, the major distinctive between the two is meaningful relationships. And I don't know if you can relate, but for me, the, the major distinctive has been meaningful relationships. It wasn't the quality of music. It wasn't the oratory skill of the, the preacher. It wasn't the beauty of the building. It wasn't the quality of the programs that were offered. The, the major distinctive was meaningful relationships built within the church. And for me, my, my strongest seasons of, of church life were marked by just having strong, meaningful relationships with other believers. Now, catch this, because this is, this is huge. The meaningful relationships were not contingent upon each particular church, but the meaningful relationships really were, were contingent upon me. And so what I mean by that is, is the times that I lacked meaningful relationships were not really because the church didn't provide them, but it was because I didn't engage in them. Maybe you can think back and, and have a similar story for your own life. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm not saying that we can just jump into any church, be involved, build relationships, and it's going to be a great, strong church experience. You need to find a biblical church. You need to find a church that believes the Bible, that is Jesus-centered, that is a worshipful community, that has biblical leadership, that is prayer-driven and, and mission-focused. And, and there's, there's options for that. And let me tell you, though, after you find this, you've got to jump into these meaningful relationships. And, and meaningful relationships, once you find that, are really going to be contingent, largely in part, on you. And, and pursuing meaningful relationships really is is a discipline. That's why I want to put it under spiritual disciplines. It can be actually pretty challenging. They're easy to avoid, aren't they? Anybody been in the church and you're like, I'm just going to hide out for a while? They're easy to avoid, but they're challenging to engage in, and they're essential for your spiritual maturity. So here's the big idea for the morning, that a meaningful relationship with the church is essential for your spiritual maturity. A meaningful relationship with the church is essential for your spiritual maturity. Now, just to be clear, when we say the church, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about an institution. We're not talking about a one and a half hour block of time. We're talking about people, that the church is people who have been redeemed and restored to right relationship with God through Jesus. That's the church. And so a meaningful relationship with the church is essential for your spiritual maturity. Let me show you this. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go 11 through 16. The entire section there, 1 through 16, is, is powerful, and you should totally spend some time this week reading that. But we're going to really focus in on 11 through 16. Here's what it says. It says, And he... Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, for the measure of statue of the fullness 
of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's break down this really important passage when it comes to church life. Verse 11, look at it. It's talking about church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In verse 12, their job is to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And who are the saints? Football team? No, the saints are Christians, right? And so at the beginning of this letter, Paul uh, addresses the letter to the saints. So the saints aren't this super level of, of, you know, super Christians who get their own statue and a crown or something. No, saints are all Christians everywhere at all times. That's, that's the saints as we read through the, the scripture. And so the, the, the saints are the ones who are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And so ministry is not left to us professional Christians who went to seminary, right? No, our job is to equip you to do the ministry, our job is to equip you to do the ministry. And what kind of ministry it says? It says building up the body of Christ. And who is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the church. And who are the saints? The church. And so the church builds up the church. Skip all the way down to, to verse 16, if you will. Look at verse 16. Read it again. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, how do we grow here? We grow when each part of the body figures out, who am I? What, what is my body part? Am I a finger? Am I a foot? What, what am I? And then we, we do our thing, right? We have to do our thing. And then the body grows and it builds itself up. And so as a member of the body, you're, you're growing with it as it builds itself up. Earlier in verse 7, if you want to skip all the way up to verse 7, also back in Romans chapter 12 and and 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how each Christian is given a a measure of Christ's gift. And so Christ had all the spiritual gifts, and each of us are given a measure of Christ's gift. We're given at least one of what we call these spiritual gifts, these, these supernatural gifts of God that we have. We're not talking about flying. We're talking about these gifts of God that we have to do ministry within the church and for the glory of God. Of God. So to name a few, some of them we've already seen here, pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist. There are also uh, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there's serving, there's teaching, there's encouragement, there's giving, there's leadership, there's acts of mercy, there's administration, there's hospitality among others. So my, my in-laws are here today, and let me just tell you, these guys are the most hospitable people you will ever meet in your entire life, and their thing at their church is hospitality. And so if you ever go to visit their church, within three minutes, you will have a donut shoved in your mouth and coffee poured in your mouth within a few minutes. If you've been in their church for a few months, you've either lived at their house or had a meal at their house. That's just them doing their thing. Hospitality is their gift. Verse 16, if they aren't practicing hospitality, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing their thing that God has clearly equipped them to do. They're not, verse 16, working properly if they're not exercising 
hospitality. Some of you immediately know what that is for yourself. Like if I'm not doing this, I'm not doing my thing. So maybe it's if I'm not teaching a women's Bible study, I'm not doing my thing. If I'm not teaching children, I'm not doing my thing. If I'm not giving, I'm not doing my thing. I'm not working properly. If I'm not serving I'm behind the scenes and just making stuff happen. I'm not working properly. If I'm not leading somewhere and just taking the burden of leadership, if I'm not doing that, I'm not working properly. If I'm not encouraging people, I'm not working properly. If I'm not exercising mercy on people, I'm not, I'm not working properly. God has gifted you to do something very specific. And every local church has this beautiful mosaic of spiritual giftings among the people. And when we each do our thing, it makes the body grow. But when we don't do our thing, and when we don't let others do their thing towards us, because we're not plugged in, we're not going to grow. Verse 13, look at it. We can't attain mature manhood, spiritual maturity. We can't attain maturity. Verse 14, we remain spiritual children, and we are tossed to and and fro. And so I want to encourage you this morning to take some time throughout this year to figure out what your spiritual gift is. I believe that every Christian should be able to say, my spiritual gift is this. You should be able to identify what your spiritual gift is. Otherwise, you're like a ball player when the coach says, hit the field, and I don't know if he does that and smacks you on the butt like mine did, but when he says, hit the field, you're not wandering in the outfield like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, coach, and you just whack your head on the green monster. No, the church is full of people, and I don't mean our church, because our church serves more than any church I've ever personally been involved with, proportionately. Praise God for that, but let me just say, and I'm not tuning our own horn, I'm just saying you guys are doing really well at that, but so many churches are just full of people who are just wandering. They're not plugged in. They're not, they're not doing what God has called them to. They're just wandering around. They haven't identified their gifts, and they're not plugging in. We are called to grow up, to ma- mature, to assume our role, and to stop being spiritual children, right? Stop being spiritual children. My, my baby girl, Nora, is, she's almost three years old, and I'm telling you, she has got the cute thing going on like it is nobody's business. And, and sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll look at her and just take mental snapshots, Anybody do this? Parents, you just say, I just can't forget this. I just got to lock and load right in my mind here. And so, I, you know, she'll be dancing around the house in her princess costumes, and I'll just snapshot, you know. Or she'll be lying in her bed at night, snapshot. I just can't remember it. Or she'll be sitting on the sofa beside me, you know, sucking your fingers with her blankie and snapshot. I just don't want to forget those. And sometimes what I do is I kind of fast forward a little bit and try to picture those snapshots that I, that I just took, you know, 10 years from now when she's 13, God forbid, and she's a, <laughs> she's a teenager. I got to get my, uh, my firearms license, don't I? And she's a, she's a teenager and she's matured. And I'm, let me just say that when I picture her at 13, I don't picture her sucking her fingers with her blanket. That would just be weird, right? She, she's going to mature. And listen, for so many Christians, a decade goes by and you're still doing the same things and not doing anything. But let me just say, if you spend a decade deeply connected 
in a church family, doing what God has equipped you to do and letting others do towards you what God has equipped them to do, I'm telling you, the amount of growth that will take place in your life will blow your mind. A meaningful relationship with the church is essential for your spiritual maturity. And if you're not plugging in, you are missing out on a massive piece of the pie of maturity. A massive piece of the pie. And so, for the remainder of our time together, I want to think through letting the church mature you and what that looks like. I want to, I want to think through that a little bit. And, and, and we need to think through, uh, you know, what exactly is happening when we interact with God's people? When we spend time with other Christians, what, what exactly is, is happening so that you can get the most out of, out of church life? Think about it this way. So we've been kind of comparing uh, physical disciplines with spiritual disciplines throughout this whole series because at the start of a new year, people make all these disciplines that I'm going to diet, I'm going to run, and I'm going to exercise and all these things. And so have you ever heard it said, you know, something along the lines of, you know, the core of your body is so essential just for your overall health. Your abs, your sides, your lower back is huge because it's, you know, involved in all of your motions. You've heard that before. Yeah, that's, that's obviously really, really important. I've also heard it said that if you can focus in on your core throughout the course of the day, if you can kind of contract those muscles throughout the day while you're just doing everyday tasks that you can really build your core without actually having to lift weights. And not that you're going to get a six-pack or anything. I mean, come on. But what we're talking, you can actually, you know, you can actually strengthen yourself by just contracting throughout the course of the day. You can, while you're walking stairs or while you're lifting your, your toddler or, or toddler, you're, uh, you know, filling a, a wheelbarrow or something. You can, you know, contract and, you know, you can strengthen your core. And, and that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping for with this is that if we can really specifically uh, focus in on and engage really the, the, what, what's happening when we interact with God's people, we can make the most out of every single interaction. And so I just want to give you a few thoughts on letting the church mature you. And in each of these, we need to be mindful of what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, that, that we are always building and we are always being built. That's why I look again at verse 16. It says the church builds itself up. So that means that we are the building, but we are also, in a sense, the builder. Now, obviously, ultimately, biblically, Christ is doing the building in and, and through us. Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will what? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here in Ephesians, though, it says that there is this element where the, the church builds itself up, that God is working through us. It's his hands working through our hands so that we might build ourselves up. And so we are the building, and we also are the, the builder. And let me say this, that we tend to gravitate towards one of these. For, for so many Christians, maybe it's strictly about my growth. Church life is just about me and my growth. It's about me being built. I will come to church. I will hear from God. I will recharge. I will refuel. I will be prayed for. I will be encouraged. I will be taught the word. I will be challenged. And then I will go on my way until next week. That's what we call the consumer mentality of church. What's in it for me? I'm going to go and get whatever I can get for me. And let me just say this. That's awesome. 
There is much in it for you. The church is meant to be a huge blessing to you. I really believe it's made for that. And every one of us, though, we must be able to move into answering the, the question, though, how can I now contribute to the church? And what's, what's my role and, and how can I contribute to the church? Every Christian needs to move from the consumeristic crowd and start to move towards what we call the contributing core. Well, we, we have to do that. We've got to just stop being consumers. There's an element where there's so much in it for you, but we've got to move into being the contributing core. On the flip side, however, there are other people who see the church strictly as it's about building. It's about their growth, other people's growth. So I'm going to come, I'm going to play my part, I'm going to do my role, I'm going to give, I'm going to engage the mission, I'm going to serve, I'm going to exercise my spiritual gift. And let me just say, I love you guys. I'm telling you, when we started this church, we were just praying that, that God would give us some of you so that we could see more people come to know the Lord. My heart is, is uniquely burdened for starting a life-giving church in Boston and more in Boston and then throughout other influential cities around New England. And, and we need people like you. We want to do this for the good of people and for the glory of Jesus. I love you guys. You are all in. Almost. You're all in. Almost. And here's what I mean. A lot of us are we're, we're filling the pool. But let me say, you also have to swim in the pool. Does that make sense? You also have to swim in the pool. We can't be the parent that just grabs the water hose and gets the kids all excited. It's going to be awesome. You, you jump in, be refreshed. It's going to be so amazing. And then when it's full, we don't swim in the pool. And now suddenly we're not so believable, right? Really? Did you really believe it's going to be awesome or is it all just hype? You have to swim too. And I, largely I'm, I'm speaking oftentimes to, to many of our ministry leaders uh, about this, that, that our, our church, by God's grace, is just full of people who just want to give and who want to serve. But in so many instances around just churches as I've seen them, ministry leaders are burnt because they're just filling the pool and they're frying. And they never jump in and get themselves refreshed within the pool. Let me just say this. Permission to swim. You can you can swim. I think a great example of this biblically is, is Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it, actually, we won't put it on the screen. I just want to tell you the, the, the story. Martha holds uh, a Jesus party. This is a cool story. She holds this, this Jesus party, starts inviting people. Lots of people come over uh, to see Jesus in this party that, that Martha is, is preparing for. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. So the party's going on. She is serving her little heart out, probably cooking food, cleaning after people, making sure everybody's got everything they need. There's plenty of seats. Everybody's kind of taken care of. But then, at some point in the party, she approaches Jesus, and she's frustrated. And she approaches Jesus uh, because her sister Mary was enjoying Jesus while she was doing what? While she was serving and making sure that the party happened. And Jesus didn't scold Mary. He didn't say, Mary, get up. Go help your sister. Come on, contribute. Stop being a consumer. Get going. Right? Instead, what does he do? He says, Martha, 
He says, Mary chose the better portion. So it's, it's not that Martha shouldn't have been serving. Someone had to serve to make the party happen. Somebody had to cook. Somebody had to prepare. Somebody had to make sure there were seats for people to sit in. But listen, ministry-minded people, I love you. God, is, he loves you. You're on mission. It's awesome. But you also have to swim. You also have to swim. That's why Luke specifically says, Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. So serving is a good thing, and we wear shirts to say we're here to serve, and that's a good thing. But you can do too much of a good thing that you're not getting the best thing, and that is Jesus himself. She was distracted with much serving. She was so busy preparing the party that she missed that my Lord is in the house right now. It's a big, it's kind of a big, important thing that we need to catch. So we must engage in both building the church, but also being built within the church. And so a few closing thoughts on letting the church mature you, concentrating on the core. When we come in and we engage with people here and then throughout the course of the week, we just need to acknowledge these things so that we can be built as we live with intentionality. And we're going to incorporate building and, and being built. Here's, here's the first one. Is we have to stir and be stirred. We have to stir and be stirred. Listen to Hebrews chapter uh, 24 or 10 verse, verses 24 and 25. This is a very important passage. It says this. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what does this passage tell us? It tells us, do not neglect to meet together. That's talking about the corporate gathering of the church, church worship, Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. Do not neglect this. It is so massively important that you are committed to this. That in your mind, in your heart, this is not an option. This is, every week, this is what I do with God's people. It is an offense to God when we half-heartedly live for what he wholeheartedly died for. It must just baffle God. When he makes it so clear throughout the scriptures how important the church is. That the church is the bride of Christ. This is my wife. This is my lover. I love her with all of my being. It must just baffle him when we say, well, I was out late last night. Yeah, I'll probably just sleep in. Or I have to study. Or I'm just so tired. Or there's a big game on today. Or you know what? It's rainy outside. My hair gets frizzy. Listen, curly-headed people, I know. I'm with you, right? I'll show up to church with an afro humble myself for Jesus, I guess. When today there are people around the world gathering in places with the very real possibility that somebody can come in with a gun and end the meeting and end their lives at the same time. But for us, it's like, eh. If there's some room in the schedule, maybe maybe it'll happen. This should never be an if-I-can-get-around-to-it kind of thing. So vastly important to the Lord. He says, do not neglect to meet together. That would be a command. Do not neglect to meet together. Why? So that we can stir up 
one another towards love and good deeds. So I'll say this. Every week, show up with your spoon, right? Be ready to stir up one another. Stir up takes all kinds of different forms, right? Stir up means amen, right? It means like I'm saying I'm with you. When you say amen, you're saying that's right, that's right, that's good, right? Amen is, is stirring them up. I'm encouraging other people, yes, this is so good. Giving spiritual elbows, like yeah, that was, that was right on. Stir up means you're challenging each other. Did you hear that? Man, I got to live that out. What about you? How are you doing in that? Throughout the course of the week, talking, emailing, praying for each other, being the church together, stirring each other up, pressing on because we're just we're giving each other the kick that we, we need. And why do we do this? He says because it's going to get increasingly difficult to be a Christian, to be faithful in this world. You will increasingly need to be more and more plugged into your church. Not, well, I had a season where I was really faithful, but then life got busy. I had kids, and you know how it goes. He says, more and more, all the more as the day draws near, because it's going to get harder to live for Jesus. We're not moving. I don't know what your biblical theology is, but it it doesn't tell us that it's just going to get better and better and better. It's going to get more challenging. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And you must meet together because you're not going to make it unless you do so. I think back to when I was, uh, I, I was at high school and I was, I was a runner and I did pretty well in the, you know, the 5K. I was a cross-country runner. And I cannot, for the life of me, get back to the times I was running in, in high school. And it, you know, even, even like in my early 20s, I just couldn't get back to it. I know now it makes sense why I can't. But back then, I could, I could not get back there after I graduated high school. You know why? Because I was running by myself. Versus in high school, I would go to practice, and we're pushing off of each other, and I'm like, I'm not going to let that kid beat me. He stole my girlfriend, too. You know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to win at both things, right? No, I'm just kidding. Man, just having those people to stir you up and to push you on is so, so, so important. So we've got to stir, and we've got to be stirred. It means we've got to come and be stirred, but we've also got to be stirs as well. We've got to come and let the sermon challenge us. We've got to come and let the worship spur us on. We've got to come and let people in the church spur us on. We've also have to, we also have to, to stir our, our, ourselves. You ever, throughout the course of your week, felt like you're starting to get stagnant, and then you come to church on Sunday and you just get the kick in the pants that you need? That's what we're talking about here. Stir one another up towards love and good deeds. And when you show up, you're ready to be stirred means you show up and you're prayed up and you're saying, God, this week, please do a work in my heart. That's why he says, if you seek me, you will, promise, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. A lot of people apply that to non-Christians, like, oh, non-Christian, if you'll seek God, you'll find him. No one seeks after God in and of themselves. So Christians are the one who he's talking here, believers. This is Jeremiah to God's people. He says, God's people, there's going to be seasons where you feel far from God and things feel stagnant, but if you seek him, you will find him. So come ready. God, please move in my heart today. He loves to answer that prayer. He loves to. So pray yourself up and get ready. Stir and and be stirred. Here's here's the next one. Speak and be spoken to. So our our passage here, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse, verse 15 There's all this talk about building up, and then what does he say? He says, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. So we build each other up by opening our mouths to each other, not by just the hug, but also communicating the truth of God to each other. And so when we gather, we've got to speak. And so this could take all kinds of forms in our gatherings. It could be sharing with somebody else what God's doing in your heart. It can be asking somebody else, hey, what's, what's Jesus done in your life this week? What are some things that you're seeing God working in? I mean, ask questions, not just, did you see the game? Well, in our case, did you see the game? <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> Apply scripture when you're, when you're counseling a friend. Speaking the truth, here's the truth. Your word is truth, right? It says about itself. Deal with, with sin in another believer's life. Galatians tells us, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should go after them. That means we don't just say, well, they're in sin and I don't want to butt in their business. I, don't, I shouldn't judge, right? No, it's not, it's not judging. It's saying, I love you and I don't want you to know that's not good for you. Just like if my, my kid gets its foot trapped in, in a booby trap while we're out in the woods, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I don't want to judge you. If you think you're stuck, okay, I'll help you. But I don't, I don't want to assume you're stuck. He's stuck, right? The Bible makes it clear on certain sins. And if people are in sin, go after them in love, right? Speaking the truth how? In love, it says. It says don't just speak the truth and be the cold, hard, arrogant Christian jerk. But speak the truth in love. It's a big difference. I'm doing this because I love you. I love you. We also have to welcome that kind of input into our lives. We have to be ready to receive it. I'd say invite it, actually. And so here's, here's what I try to do, is, is rather than just letting it kind of happen, if somebody sees it, just call it out, is, is actually schedule in your life places where people can call it out. So that it's not this awkward, like, i got to approach Josh and talk to him. But it's, hey, I know we're going to talk next week, and I'm going to talk about, hey, you know, there's some things I've been noticing in your life. So we have people in our own lives who have, who have you know, had these regular checkups with us to see how we're doing in, our, in my own personal walk, in my marriage, in my family. You need that too. It's less of a confrontation if it's just scheduled, right? Call it accountability. Call it being honest in a, in a group. Call it discipleship. Whatever you want, but let's, it's just so important. Speak and, and be ready to be spoken to. A great place to do that is, is meals. And I know how it is on Sunday mornings, trust me, with kids, and you're like, they're, it's nap time, and they're dying, and I got to get them home and throw them in the bed as quick as I can before they fall apart, you know. Schedule meals together. We all eat three times a day, I think, right? I, I think that happens, right? During those times, do so with, with other people, if at all possible. Schedule meals throughout the week where you can get with other believers and speak and be spoken to and apply scripture and talk to each other. It's very, very important. Here's the next one. Disciple and be discipled is, is a huge piece of what we should be doing as, as a church so that we can grow in holiness. So what that really is, is, is taking the speaking the truth to the next level. Now it's, it's more formalized. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 is a, is a very important passage of scripture that's just huge in my own heart. And, and I've memorized it a while ago, and I just, I, I just want to, to live it out with all that I have. But it, Paul says to Timothy, he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will teach others 
also. And so Paul is talking to Timothy, and Timothy was discipled by Paul, but Paul says, my expectation is that you will do what? You will teach others, right? You will teach faithful men, and they're going to teach. It's just going to pass on. So we should be discipling, pouring our lives into people who are younger than us, either in the faith or maybe even by, by years. Titus chapter 2 says that older women are to train the younger women. And so if you're a grandmother, we've got a lot of young mothers in this room who need your help, need your wisdom, encourage them. You know they look frazzled. Take them under your wing. Talk to them. You don't, feel, don't, you don't need to feel like you have it all together because none of us do. But just impart the words of wisdom that you have learned. Be open. Be honest. Be present. Empathize. Resource as best as you can. Maybe it's, it's married people and there's newlyweds uh, uh, among us. Or, or men. There's always going to be younger men. There's always going to be college students. College students. We have high school students who need mentored, cared for, but but disciple and, and share what you have. Mothers, you're a little further on in your, your, your parenting. There's a lot of young mothers in here who could use your help. Fathers, same, same deal. The church should be a hub of discipleship. We should be willing to offer discipleship, but we should also be seeking to be discipled, to have people who are poured into, pouring into our lives. We should be a match.com for disciples, right? That's what the church should be. Our next one is this, serve and be served. We've already covered this a bit, and so I don't want to beat it down too much. But figure out how you can serve in your church. John chapter 13, 14, Jesus serves his disciples by washing their feet. You know the story? And he gets down and he washes these feet, these dirty men who are walking around in sandals in a dusty region of the world, and so they're getting these naturally just disgusting feet, but they're also spiritually dirty. And he then tells them after washing their feet, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So he tells them, I expect you to wash the feet of each other. Let me ask you, how are you practically serving other people within your church family? We've got cool things going on right now in the church. I mean, we've got, we've got people who are doing meals for, for sick people. We've got uh, single young people who are offering, uh, just watching uh, children for free. It's a huge ministry so that parents who are broke is a joke in the city like us, you know, can't afford childcare and to go on a date and to pay for parking and all that. It's just crazy, right? And so we got people saying, that's my, my ministry. We've got people moving other people and helping with moving or my car is not my car, it's God's car ultimately, so if you need it, use it, right? People are serving each other. Jesus says, I expect you to serve, but also notice that he's, he's also serving them. So I expect you to serve, but you also have to be ready to be served. Some people, many people actually I've, I've seen, love to serve others, but are too prideful to be served. Kind of like Peter if you know the story of Jesus washing feet, Jesus comes around to him. He says, oh, no, don't touch my feet, Jesus. You're above this. Don't serve me. And Jesus says, what? He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. You need me to serve you, right? We need Jesus to serve us. He served us how? By dying for us. We need to, to serve. And so don't deny God's gift of you or gift to you of other people. Serve and, and be served. And here's the, here's the last one. 
Just a thought to close with. Stick and be stuck. This is, this, is, this is really important. Here's what I'm talking about. Church is a family. Church is a family. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He, that's the Lord, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So he has adopted us. One of the most beautiful doctrines in the scriptures. He has adopted us, that God has adopted adopted us. He's taken us into his family. And he's adopted us. What does that make us with relation to each other? Brothers and sisters, right? Makes us brothers and sisters. So my brother Nick and my sister Emily, I'm stuck with them, right? They're They're my siblings, right? I can't really not be their brother, right? That's just how it is. I'm stuck with them. The difference in church life, however, is that we can bounce churches when it gets tough. And people do that quite a bit, don't they? Say, so, yeah, I'm going to move on. <laughs> and we're missing out when we bounce. We're missing out on huge opportunities for spiritual growth. Let me explain. Gets tough in a relationship with somebody and you don't bounce, you have a huge opportunity to learn to forgive. It gets really hard to connect with people because they're just different than you, but you choose not to bounce. is a huge opportunity to learn what it looks like when the Bible talks about unity in Christ and not in all these other things like skin color and economic situation and social situation and where you went to school and where you're from. It's a huge opportunity to learn. When it comes to dealing with sin, we can either run because people maybe have acknowledged something in my own life, or we can stick with it, and it's a huge opportunity for growth. I think it's important to note that in the, in the New Testament church, they didn't have the option of bouncing, did they? You either went to the church of Thessalonica if you lived in Thessalonica, or if you lived in Ephesus, you went to the church of Ephesus, or if you lived in Philippi, you went to the church of Philippi. You didn't have the option of just shopping around and finding the church that fits you. Now, there are, I'll say this, there are legitimate reasons to leave a church. I'm with you there. There are legitimate reasons to leave a church. They're not faithful to the scriptures. They're not preaching God's word. They're not dealing uh, with, with church life in a way that's consistent with the scriptures. There are very real reasons. You move, I get that. You don't want to drive an hour to church because then you can't be plugged in. That totally makes sense. But let me just say this. You will never, never, never find the perfect church. And I'm not going to lie to you. We're not perfect. We are absolutely not perfect. We have to learn to stick with church as family. It's a huge way that you're going to grow. Because when it gets hard, we press on because we're, we're family. And so we've got to learn to stick. We have also have to learn to, to be stuck with. <laughs> In other words, we need to allow other people to love us like family. Similar to serving, it's hard to be served sometimes. I know it's hard to allow other people to love us as family. Have you ever felt like, man, I don't, they know where I've been. They know who I am. They know me too well now. 
Now they know the real me, and I don't like the real me. And so I'm going to move on. Allow people to love you like family. It's so important. And when you mess up, I see people, they, they mess up, and they, you never see them again. Listen, we want to hang in there with you. We want to be a family. We want to care for you. We want to see you grow in your faith. We are not going to bail on you. I said it last week, and I'll say it again, is that, God forbid, but if if you should ever find yourself in a position where you are far from the Lord, and you look back, it's been a long time since I've been plugged into the life of the church. Listen, come back, and we will welcome you with arms wide open. The example, parable of the prodigal son. The father doesn't say, get out of here. I can't believe you come back. You took my money. You spent it all. Look at you. You're a mess. Get out of here. No, what does he do? He pulls up his robe, and he starts running after him, and he hugs him and falls on him. He's so excited to see him. And he throws him a party, right? That's the example. Let the church be family for you. Let the church stick with you. Be stuck with, right? It's so important. Some beautiful truths here this morning. That's what Christian community is. It's a beautiful thing. We're united around Jesus, where God is our Father. We can be adopted as sons. And some of us in this room, maybe we've never been adopted as sons and daughters of God because we've never in faith turned to the Lord. We never acknowledged our sin, humbled ourselves and said, yeah, I'm not perfect. I've offended God. I've been running from God. He's my creator. I've, I've said, I don't need you. I'll do my own thing. God is so good that he does what? He sends his son, Jesus, to walk this earth, to live perfectly the life we didn't live, undeserving of death, but yet he died, taking on the payment for our sin in exchange for us. So that if we would trust in his work, his life, his death, instead of our life, which has been flawed, it can be in exchange for us. And when he looks at us, he can say, I see Jesus in you and through you, and you're made right with me. Enter into my family. Some of us today need to enter into the family of God, and I want to call you to that. Today, to enter into the family of God. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It means you just call out to God and say, yes, I acknowledge my sin, I acknowledge Jesus, and I in faith trust in you. You're invited to that this morning. And the best way you know how you can call out to the Lord, and you're his. It's beautiful. Others of us in here, it's time to plug in and to commit to the bride of Christ, the church, the body. Say, I want to move from the crowd, and I want to move into being deeply connected into this beautiful family, the church. We're beautiful not because we're beautiful in and of ourselves. We're beautiful because he makes us beautiful. It's his work that he's doing. He's shaping us and perfecting us, sanctifying us, growing us in holiness. We're a living organism that he's doing a good work in, and he's growing us up, and you're invited into that. Some of us need to connect in that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your, your goodness to us, that you have not called us to salvation, ascended on high, and said, I'll see you someday. But you have given us the church. You have given us people to walk with. 
you have united us by your spirit. God, I pray that we would really live in that community that you have designed for us to thrive in and to grow in. Not that we would be this self-seeking, inwardly focused people, but we would serve each other well. And as Jesus prayed in John 17, people would see our unity and they would believe in him. They would say there's something different, there's something beautiful and rich happening among those people. Lord, would you do that work in us? Help people today who need to turn to Jesus to turn to him and to communicate that. Help people today who need to commit to the life of the church to do that as well. And I commit these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.